I'm going to go to some of my notes before. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 1. Stop spending your life with those who don't build you up. Stop spending your life with those who don't build you up. Stop spending your life with those who are a detriment to you or that only drain from you. I learned this years ago um, when I was working at Corbin Communications in Kentucky and the guy I worked for had been a really big insurance guy back in the, I guess, 70s and uh, made a lot of money up in Louisville area and had done very well and, and he bought this business to move back to the edge of the hills where I ended up moving back to, to at one point. And, and one of the things he told me, he used to tell me to get 20, 20 calls a day in. You get your 20 calls a day, if you're in at 2 o'clock, go home, whatever. And I used to be, some days I'd get 40 stops in. I'd go to Lexington and go to a whole bunch in one area or whatever. And, and, but one of the things he told me, he said, you have to learn to quit wasting your time on people that just want to take your time. Because I would go into places and they would want to talk about hunting or church or whatever, the cats, or that's Kentucky, the wildcats, whatever, people would want to talk, but they never wanted to interact any business with me. So he said, you've got to learn who, who to pick and choose and how much time you're willing to give them. And it's the same way in life. Not everybody, even though they may be an associate or a friend or something, but they may not always be beneficial. You've heard me talk about this a little bit before. There's times you have to pull back and let it go. You just have to. You can't keep embracing uh, some people because they're not beneficial to you. But you can thrive alone. And the reason I thought it was important that, that you can thrive alone is that in, in Revelation chapter 1, we see a man. He was, one, he was, a, he was a, an apostle, John, and he was taken to a place and he was put on an island. How many of you have ever heard of Alcatraz? How many has ever been to Alcatraz? Oh, you can go look at it now, I think, boat rides and whatever. This guy was on Alcatraz. He was on there with the hardest of the hardest criminals. He was taken with all kinds of nationalities, and he was thrown in an environment that was really complicated and very harsh. And when he was thrown there, I don't know if he really understood all the particulars, but while he was there, he learned how to get along with God. And this is where I want to stop for just a minute. I may not go a whole lot farther than this, but there are times in life when you feel like nobody else is around. Man, I'm going to go back a few years Whenever, we, whenever Atlanta lost Kinsley, and dude, I, I cannot tell you what it was like sitting at our house. We didn't, we didn't see anybody. We didn't talk to anybody. Um, and I'm not saying this to be ugly. We had one couple that came to see us, and it was Steve and Lisa Felker. And that was it. And so you know what we did all the time? As soon as I would get in from doing whatever, I would go to the house, and we would get in it, and we would drive. And 5,000 times I would hear my wife say, why would this happen? Why did this happen? Over and over and over. And I don't understand. There was just the same questions. And this went on probably for a month or so, maybe five, six weeks. And we would drive and just go somewhere and, and get a taco. And then we didn't feel like eating it. And it was just one of these things emotionally. But one of the things that I can tell you that happens when you get into those places, you also have to learn how to get alone. And when you get into the place of life that things go wrong and it's, and it's heart-wrenching and it's devastating, you have to have the ability to get alone with God. And I don't know what John was feeling. I don't know if he felt like God had abandoned him. But regardless of what he was feeling at this point, God began to make himself known to him. And he could thrive right where he was. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show him his servants, show unto his servants things that must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ in all things that he saw. 
Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. I want to jump up a couple verses down to verse 9. It says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of patience and of, of kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle, of, isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard, heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And I'm going to stop there. I don't know if you caught anything that we just read, but, but he was the half-brother of Jesus. He was in a place, he had been through the tribulations, he had been ridiculed, and now he was being persecuted just like Christ was, and he was stuck on an island. But regardless of where he had been, he was in a place to hear the voice of God. And sometimes when we get in our darkest times, and I'm going to be honest with you, with Halana, I pray that God will speak to her now more than he ever has. Because a lot of times it's when we get desperate that we learn to hear his voice. When things don't go right and things get heavy and they get hard, that we begin to hear, is this making any sense? You can do this alone. If I watch a 19, 20-year-old girl get up every Sunday, get herself together and fix herself up and march in here and worship like no other, she don't care if you like her. She doesn't care if you look at her. She may be up here standing some Sundays or on her knees some Sundays or in her seat with her hands raised and lifted because she's learned how to survive alone. Is her dad a believer? No. Is her mother? I don't know. But I know this. She has figured it out. And for some reason, often we think we've got to have a crowd around us to survive. You don't. The scripture says we can go into a lot of things prophetical about the days to come. And if the Lord tarries, we know the church will come under great ridicule. And it already has. Big churches are always ridiculed and, and kind of words taken out of, out of context and made it sound like something it really isn't. There's a lot of things that you do in general with the ministry that people try to kind of distort and make it something that it isn't. It's already under attack. But you and I have to realize this is not just a group. It's also me as an individual. John figured this out all alone. I'm going to read my notes. John was on a prison island, living among hardened criminals, yet John had his greatest revelation in life while he was there. How incredibly important it is. There's a time in our life you have to learn to let go. I'd like you to go to the book of Ruth, if you will, in chapter 1. <clears throat> Ruth in chapter 1. I remember... Uh, when we were pastoring in Kentucky, we'd been through a lot, and, and um, the church had, had done pretty well, and we lived in a really sh small area and really kind of deprived, I guess you'd say, in a lot of ways. Uh, we'd been there for about probably a year and a half. We'd lived there, and some, uh, um, some guys up on the hill, you heard me tell the story, they were drug dealers, and, and uh, they didn't like Teen Challenge coming to our house because they had people of different colors in the program and because they were different colors of different nationalities in the program. They went down and burned a barn there that my dad and I had built. And then after they burnt the barn, about three weeks later, they went and torched their church and burnt the church down. And it was a blessing. I'm glad they burned it. It needed to be burnt. We'll leave that alone. But anyway, it was a good thing. And um, what was my point? Oh, there's some things you have to learn to let go. And while we were there, we had, had $205,000 from our insurance policy. And we rebuilt the whole sanctuary for 200, paved the, the parking and done everything for $210,000. That's crazy. It really is. It wasn't very big. I mean, the sanctuary is about 
it wasn't as big as our platform, I'll tell you that much. It just wasn't. It was a big platform. But we could seat about 115, 120 people in it. And, and, um, but we, we've seen God do a lot of things there. seen a lot of people come to the Lord. A lot of people step out and learn to lead. And it was really blessed. But there was a time we had to let go. And we did. I could tell you the whole story, but it would be about an hour. So I'm going to be brief. We have a scenario here in the book of Ruth that, that Naomi had been through a lot of things. The first part of chapter 1, that's where we're going to start. Chapter 1, we're going to go down to verse 8. But she had lost her husband. He had passed away, and both of her sons had passed away. And now her and her daughters were kind of living together in the same tent. And, and so in verse 8, it says that Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to your mother's house, and the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that you may find rest in each one of you, the house of, your, of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, and go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Let's jump on down. Let's go down to verse 14. And they lifted up their voice, and they wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee. In other words, don't make me leave or go back from following after you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I, I will lodge. And your people will be my people. And where you die, will I die. And there will I be buried. And the Lord do, do so to me. And more also, if aught but death part you and me. So there was something different about Orpha. Now here's the thing. Uh, Orpha and, and, um, and Ruth were different, but they both had their season and their value. A lot of times people try to throw Orpha under the bus. She didn't have the heart that Ruth did, but it didn't mean it was bad. There was something about her. Does this make any sense? She was time for her to go back to her own people, but Ruth couldn't. There was something different about her. And oftentimes we don't understand the dynamics of life. I don't understand why we didn't stay in Kentucky forever. That was the church that whenever I was a little boy, my dad went and pioneered. I was in the fourth grade. Fourth grade. I didn't know if everybody down there had running water or had outdoor plumbing. I don't know what it was because we were on the poor side of the county. And everybody that went to our church was the poor side of the county. The girls, and you have to hear me tell the stories of the girls who could beat me up. That's where we lived. I'm not kidding. Excuse me? She's not the only one. Marilyn and Dorothy could beat me up. And so here's the deal. But we had, these, we had the different dynamics. Why was it time to leave? Why was it time to go ahead? Because here's the way God works. There are certain things in our life that will always be, but there are other things in life that will change. And we cannot get so dogmatic on things, not understanding the changes that come. You may have been a certain way for the past 20 years. Guess what? It may be time for a change in your life. The way you think, the way you operate, the way you do things, whatever. You may pursue something different than you've ever done before. And Ruth was that ever consistent, constant in Naomi's life. But Orpha was there for a season. So let's go on. Because there's some, one thing that's important about long-term relationships. They need to be beneficial both ways. Same way in a marriage. If a, a good marriage relationship, the husband will be beneficial to the wife, and the wife will be beneficial to the husband. That's the way it's supposed to work. So... Let me stay here. Naomi made a decision to leave, to go home. Stop begging her to stay. That will stunt your growth. 
There are times in your life that there would be people that you want to beg and beg and beg. Let me go back in time. How many of you remember in junior high, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you had this girl that wanted, wanted to go be your girlfriend so bad, so, so all of a sudden now you're, she's your girlfriend, and dude, it just ain't happening. You ain't feeling it. it ain't, you ain't digging this relationship, and all of a sudden you have one of your friends take her note and say, I want to break up. That's how you do it, right, boys? You take it to her, and they get, hey, he wants to break up, but he still wants to be friend. Nick, you remember that? <clears throat> yeah. Nick done that till he was like 23 or something. But anyway, <clears throat> so you have this scenario because he wasn't feeling it anymore. It was time to change. And what did she do? She became desperate. When I was in college, and I won't mention names, but there was a girl, there was a girl I went out with, and she went to Evangel and and I'd, I'd met her, and it doesn't really matter how and all that, but I met her, and, and dude, it just wasn't floating. So I just kind of, you know, started brushing off time and didn't call, call her, and it just wasn't there. She started showing up at every one of my ball games. Everywhere I'd go, she'd show up, and I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. It wasn't working. She was trying to make something work that couldn't work, and there are times in life some things just don't work. And so you let go, and you have to push on. Stop begging. That will stunt your growth. Stop being so dependent on somebody else for you to thrive. I'm going to go back to the first point. There are times you can thrive alone. You don't always have to have somebody else. Have you ever known somebody that always had somebody around them for them to thrive and do well? Absolutely. I've had lots of friends that way. If I wasn't around them or they didn't have their friends around, they couldn't function. Friend, we have to be independent in who we are with him and learn how to function because there's times that people will abandon you. Things will go wrong. Things will go opposite. And you've got to be man and woman enough to deal with it. And you can still thrive. Naomi knew how to handle both of them. Orpha left. It didn't mean that she was bad or less than Ruth. But Orpha was there for a season. And that doesn't mean that time wasn't good for her because I believe Naomi loved her just as much as Ruth. Often we become desperate when things begin to change. Go to Ruth chapter 1 and verse 9. 19, sorry. So they two went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass that they were to come to Bethlehem. And all the city was moved about them. And they said, it is, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, but call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And I want to stop here because there's something unique about this passage. She had allowed life circumstances to create, I'm going to be honest with you, this is what I think she looked like when she was traveling up the road to Bethlehem. That's how she carried herself. I think Ruth was like this. Naomi, you want some more water? Naomi, could you make you some Cracker Jacks? Naomi, you need some more clothes? I'll sew you something. She was always the encourager. She stood by her side and Naomi gets home and she begins to drop the load of how horrible life had been. And how everything was miserable. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For I've, things have went bitter in my life. I went out full. And the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call you me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me. And the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned. And, and Ruth the Moabitess. Her daughter-in-law with her. Returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem. In the beginning of barley harvest. Now the reason that they mention that. It's because this barley harvest was about to set everything in order with prosperity in both of their lives. We could spend a whole lot of time on this, but I'm not going to go for them forever. There was something about Ruth that brought growth to Naomi. Friends, 
Every one of us need a Ruth. Every one of us need people that brings growth to us, that brings prosperity to, to us, that brings a different way of thinking and operating in our lives. We have to have them. Anytime you begin to associate with people that are always on a lower tier than you so that you can look better and you can look bigger and you can look greater, then you're doing yourself a disservice because you're limiting yourself. But as you begin to tap into other resources and other people with more talent and more ability, it begins to challenge you into something that you're not at yet. Is this making any sense? Ruth was a blessing. Ruth made the difference. Ruth brought blessing. You go into chapter 2, and, and we'll kind of go here for just a few minutes. Here's the second, third point. Some things are always going to be part of you. Know when to embrace. Know when to embrace them. Some relationships will be instrumental with you the rest of your life. I believe with everything that is in me, there are people in this church that my life will never be separated from you. It just won't be. It'll be there the rest of our life. I want to be beneficial to you, and I want you to be beneficial to me. That's the way it is. But I'm foolish. I remember uh, going to a, a church thing several years ago out in Springfield, and Dick Hardy said, as bad as you hate it, and I'm going to be honest with you, when you're the pastor and every Sunday, you know what I do? I go home and I start remembering empty seats. And I write down names. Who was there? Who was Not really who was, but who wasn't. And I begin to think about this one and that one. And I begin to think, I wonder why they weren't here. I wonder what's going on. And then you begin to get all this stuff in your head. And Dick Hardy, I'll never forget what he told me. You've got to stop being paranoid when somebody leaves. And as a pastor, it's easy for that to eat you up. Because we want to keep everybody. I wish, I, I wish that since we came here 15 years ago, everybody was still here. Every single one. We'd be running about 1,500, 2,000 people. But the reality is, it doesn't happen. It's the same way in your life. I know some of you, you told me your family stories. Some of you have had family for years that has been nothing. And I could call you out and you could say, hey, man, hallelujah, you're right. They have been nothing but chaos in your family. Every time you get into a deeper a relationship with them again, something blows up and it's never good. So you've learned to put some of those things at distance. But I believe with all my heart that you and I are to be a Ruth. And we are to make things beneficial for those that we are around. We are here to challenge and make things better for people and to be a blessing to them. <clears throat> Ruth chapter 2 and verse 2. I'm going to read this really quick. Uh, before I even read this, I'm going to tell you my notes. Ruth had a desire to benefit Naomi. Ruth was a servant to Naomi. Servi uh, Ruth. Ruth wanted to be beneficial to Naomi. Ruth valued Naomi. Now let's read chapter 2. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean ears of corn for after those uh, whose sight I find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light a part of the field. In other words, by chance, she landed in a part of a field that belonged to Boaz, who was kindred to Elimelech, and that was her, her father-in-law. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said unto the reapers, The Lord hath be with you. And they answered unto him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over against the reapers, Who is Whose damsel is this? Now, let me tell you something that was unique. And you may think, well, why would he pick out a Ruth? Because Ruth didn't look like all the other Jewish women. What was different about Ruth? 
She was a Moabite. She looked differently. The way she looked, her, her hair, her skin was a little darker. There were things about her that was different. All right? She was different. If you know anything, who was Moab? Y'all know who Moab was? Who was Moab? I know I was kind of preaching, but I'm going to stop here a minute. Who was Moab? Who was he the son of? Are you kidding me? Nobody knows who Moab was? Moab was the son of Lot's daughter, who he had incest, sexual relations with. Named her son Moab. Yes, you do. And you better not forget it. Here's the thing about this. If you begin to see all the pieces of the puzzle, God brings people into your life that other people may not find value in. Other people may consider them an outcast because most Moabites would never be embraced by the Jews because of the way their descendants where they came from. Are you following me? There was a value about Ruth that went above and beyond what her past was and what her nationality was. And I think that is so critical in this passage about the kind of woman she was. And if you'll notice, he notices her, and you can read the rest of this. I'm going to jump down a few verses. I'm going to jump down to, to verse 10. And she fell on her face, and she bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in your eyes? This is Ruth and two Boaz. That thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing that I am a stranger. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shown to me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law, and the death of thy husband, and, and thou hast left thy father and thy mother, and the land of thy nativity, and are come to the people which thou knowest not henceforth. I'm going to stop here because there's another part, another part in, this, in this passage that all the workers, what it was, back in this time, the poor people would go behind the harvesters. How many of you have ever went out into people's cornfields after the corn is picked? After the corn is picked and went out and picked up the loose ears of corn on the ground. I used to do that to feed squirrels in the woods. That's what I used to do. Okay, deer too, but they weren't supposed to be there. But, but I would feed the squirrels. And I would go and get 50-pound sacks, and I would go out in these fields, especially in the corners. And then I'd load up all these ears of corn and take them home. That's gleaning. That's what she was doing, but it was probably wheat heads or laid over wheat. And she would cut the tops off and put it in a bag. And they begin to give her favor. But the people that work for Boaz said, man, she's not like the other women. She gets here in the warm morning, and she works until evening. She doesn't take that lunch break like everybody else. When we go in the house, she's still out there working. There was something about her that was so unique, and she poured into the life of Naomi. See, there's times that we have to do it alone, and we're just like John the Revelator. There's times that we have people that are like Orpha. They're there for a season, and they move on. And then there's times that we have people that commit themselves to us and they're there the rest of our lives and they do nothing but make us better. Are you making people better? Are you challenging people? Are you beneficial to those that are around you? Are you the difference maker? And folks, this isn't criticizing. It's just the way we have to find value in ourselves, and it needs to be something that begins to happen instinctively within our life. And the last part about her is verse 7 that's what I just shared. She worked through all the breaks. And the thing is, you remember a few weeks ago, you ever notice what follows faithful people? Faithfulness. You ever, you ever know what, notice what follows favored people? Favor. You, never, you know what follows respectful people? Respect. You ever follow, notice what follows prosperous people? Prosperity. Everything about Ruth began to follow her, and it was favor. And as she was found with favor, it not only benefited her, but also benefited her mother-in-law. And the last place 
And the last thing I was going to share tonight <clears throat> is several things, actually just two or three places. Um, and the last one is this, learn to be still, to be calm, and make sure your decisions are sound and they have a purpose when life changes. Because a lot of times in the changes of life, we fall apart. We don't know how to make a decision. Did any of you have a parent that made all the decisions for you? They told you when to go to the bathroom, when to get up, when to wipe their mouth. Careful. Brush their teeth. <laughs> Brush their teeth. Huh? You ever have a parent that was that way? They had to tell you everything. And if you didn't do it everything the way they said, what were they doing? Well, yeah, Layton, go ahead. You have something to say? Oh. <coughs> I'm so glad he don't live with us anymore. <coughs> Would y'all really want me to go to that can of worms that just emptied and opened? And they're all over the ground. I could really expound, but I won't. <coughs> Be still, be calm, and make sure your decisions are sound and have purpose when life changes. I remember different people over the years that my wife and I kind of ran into or whatever when they would lose their husband. Many times we would talk to these women and we'd say when it, after their life was over, they didn't know what to do, didn't know how to function, didn't nothing. We've told many people this over the years. When this happens, wait a year before you make any decisions. Wait a year before you, oh, I'm going to sell this and get rid of it. No, calm down a minute. You're totally emotional. Remember this morning we were talking about emotions and people who base everything off emotion are very unstable. I didn't say that, but they are. Emotions are important, but you can't run a life based on emotion because every time you got mad, you're operating off the emotion of madness and anger. You're going to hit somebody, throw something, break somebody, whatever. It's different. You have to learn to be sound in your decisions. Slow down and think it out. And in Genesis chapter 19, there's two scenarios. And uh, the scenarios had to do with Lot and his wife and his two daughters. The angels came there to get them out. And the men, uh, the homosexuals in, in the city were trying to get the angels to come out so they could have sexual relations with these angelic beings. And the angel, angels came out and blinded them all so they couldn't find them, etc. And then but in 19, chap, chapter 19, verse 15 through 17, well, they had Lot and his wife and his two daughters pulling them out of the city so they're not consumed. And before they got home to pull them out, it says that Lot lingered. And you may not think that's a big deal, but whenever you have a decision to make and you begin to linger in areas that you shouldn't be lingering, it always comes back to haunt you. There are times when you've got to learn to make the decision and go forward instead of sitting there where you are. So it's something that's really critical, especially when sin is involved. Especially when sin. Let me give you a for instance. If a girl keeps justifying while she's having sex with her boyfriend, she keeps. You're not married. Let me just throw this out. Sex outside of wedlock is wrong. Care. I don't care what generation you're from. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. It's wrong. And if you keep justifying it because I love him and she love, that has nothing to do with with sexual relations. Nothing. It doesn't. It has to do with with the sanctity of marriage. It has to be between a husband and a wife. That's what it's supposed to be. That only makes sense. God made us to fit husband and wife. That's the way it's supposed to work. And then this part, what had happened is nobody had any respect for other people or for sexuality or for anybody else. And so they wanted to, to do what they wanted to do. But, and for some reason, Lot and his wife lingered. And I don't understand. 
but maybe you do, and maybe there are times I do. We have a tendency to break off of some things. We allow some things to stay there that shouldn't be. And that's exactly how Lot and his wife were. And let me tell you what happens when you begin to linger. <clears throat> how many of y'all know? If you keep lingering, eventually you're going to look back. And then you're going to be turned into a pillar of salt, which means you're going to die, which means you're not going to have the future, which means you're, more, you're going to have nothing. Everybody's going to have regrets because of it. Uh, Lot lingered and held his wife and daughters. They finally got him out. As soon as they got out of the city and, and Sodom and Gomorrah was consumed because of its perverseness and because it was consumed, his wife looked back for one more look to see what it was like, and it was totally devastating to the family because she turned to a pillar of salt. And you may think, well, the story ends there, does it? No, because his son, Lot and his two daughters go up in the mountain, and what do they begin to do? They begin to drink wine, and they get what? Drunk. So what does the oldest daughter say? There's no men around here, so I'm going to get my dad drunk, so he have sex with me. Gets her dad drunk, he has sex with her. She becomes pregnant, tells the younger daughter, hey, guess what? There's no men around here, get dad drunk. He has sex with his daughter again. Now we have incest with two daughters, and we have children on the way. Why? Because they lingered in a place they shouldn't have never been, and they looked back, even after they were out and delivered from it, they kept looking back, thinking how good it was. That's whatever. And the last thing I'm going to share is in the book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> And it's going to be super brief. And this is where I'll close. How many of you have heard the book of Nehemiah? Chapter 2 is where we're going to go, and I'm going to close with this. And I rose in the night, and I had a few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and the dung port, and I viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. In other words, the walls were broken down, it couldn't get into the city. Then I went up into the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and, and entered by the gate of the valley, so I returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I yet told it to the Jews, nor the priests, nor the nobles, nor the rulers, nor the rest that did the work. And let me tell you why this is critical. There are times in our life that we've got to be able to hold our peace whenever God's speaking to us. And Nehemiah himself, God was speaking to him to do something, and he took people and had them involved, but they had no clue what they were doing. The next verse tells everything. Then said I unto them, See the distress that ye are in, how Jerusalem lieth in waste, and how the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that would be, not more, be no more a reproach. Nehemiah figured things out alone, but his impact was huge. You can read the whole book. It's only a few chapters long. It's a great read. But in every one of our lives, we have to know when to make decisions. We have to learn we can do it alone. And there's times we have to cut strings and times we have to embrace. This is just daily living. And I hope it made a little sense.